Jesus' name. So it's great to have you in church. And uh, we are going to be getting this series on the shack. I've been contemplating doing this for a couple of years now. And it's um, only just got around to um, doing it at this season. I was going to do it. Put my glasses on. Does it work better if you wear glasses? Can I even find the on button? Is how bad's that? Oh dear, that's gone. All right, so I have to preach without notes again. There we go. And everybody gets really excited. But it's dangerous. I'll go long, you see, because I'll tell stories. And, you know, I'll interrupt my stories to tell another story. <laughs> oh dear. Um, okay, so we begin this, uh, this chat. If you've not read the book, you'll get more out of the series if you've read the book. It's a story of one of the most tragic circumstances. It's a hard book to book down. Once you pass about the first 80 pages. Now, this book has won the Diamond Award by the National Evangelical Press Association uh, for selling um, multi-millions of copies. It's been on the New York bestseller list for many times. So whilst there's some controversy around the book, the truth is it's got wide endorsement by the Evangelical Church in the world and reputable theologians say that, hey, there's a few bones in it, but there's lots of meat. So did you have your turkey over Christmas? No, you didn't have turkey. You had your ham. When you got to the bone, what did you do on the bone? You spit it out. So if you read the book and it upsets you or disturbs you in some way, uh, talk with me. I've actually done a master's paper on this level. I'm a reasonably trained theologian. I'm telling you it's safe. And to this stage, by the grace of God, I don't think I've taught you any heresy yet. Yet. Okay. So just want to hose all that down. But if you are concerned, please talk with me rather than get upset. That's a very small disclaimer. Most people will find the book a blessing to them. But if you are very rigid, or could I say religious, in your thinking then it's going to come and challenge some of those religious thoughts. But have you worked out that some religious thoughts aren't Bible thoughts? Have you figured that out? You know, when I got saved, I was told that you had to wear a suit to church and bigger, wear a King James Bible. You know, bigger the Bible, the more holy you were. That's what I was taught. Well, now I wear a little dress. You know, it's very good. So not everything's, not everything's Bible. Some of it's culture, some of it's tradition. But whilst we're not preaching the book, the book actually addresses some very significant themes. Like, where is God? Right now, my daughter's going through a period of rebellion, which is uh, distressing to me as a family. I am praying. I am really praying. Pastor Bob's had a son who's been praying for, for how many years, Bob? Many years. Where is God when you're faced with an issue and you're banging on heaven's door and nothing seems to move, where is God at the really bad times? And the shacks like opens up some of the experiences. Also talks about what is this God, this triune God? Now, if I was to announce to you in two weeks' time, I'm going to preach on the doctrine of the Trinity, everybody go, wow, wouldn't you? No, liar, liar, pants on fire. But the book actually gives me a look into 
What does it mean to serve the Christian God? Because you see, Allah has no son. What does it mean to serve this God who's chosen to reveal himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Now, we're going to be doing a whole lot of things different because it is meant to be an invitational event. One of the definitions of insanity is that you do the same things and expect the same results. Okay? Yeah. What did I say? Did I get it right or did I did my dyslexia? I got it wrong. So the definition of insanity, I've got to get this right, otherwise I'm in, I'm in trouble, <laughs> is to continue to do the same thing and expect to get something different. Is that better? Okay, very good. That's what I said. You're just tricking me, aren't you? My wife and I have this conversation all the time. She reckons I say something different. That's not what I said. And I must be right. I know what I said. <laughs> um, as a church, we are very good at seeing people come into our church and visit it. But our ability to see people make decisions for Jesus Christ has been very low for a while because essentially most of us have stopped inviting our friends and our relatives to come. Not everybody. We've got some wonderful evangelists. So this is an invitational event. This is the sort of thing that you can actually give that book to someone and it will start conversations about who God is. Is God really someone who loves, forgives? Is he the God of the Bible? So this is actually not so much designed for you. It's actually designed for them. So if I can get you onto that page, you'll understand a little bit why we're doing this. It's really important that you understand that what we're trying to do is be uh, start off with a, a series that gives us evangelistic potential, something that you can gossip about, something that you can share, something that you can talk about and see people actually perhaps come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. That's the goal. That's the plan. So it will be done a little bit different. Church will not start, well, actually, church will start at 10 o'clock, but not in this room. Church will start at 10 o'clock in the breakout area around a cup of tea and a cup of coffee. So that's different, isn't it? And some of you have got religious feelings about that already. Oh, the pastor has gone mad. Yes, he's trying to do the same thing differently. So we start out there at 10 o'clock, which means that you've got to come at what time? 10 o'clock at least, you know. I've seen how some of you come in like brown cows, you know, 10 past, 15, you know, just. So 10 o'clock. So the reason is that we start friendly. And we want to be able to do all our announcements and all that sort of stuff that uh, can be distracting and break the flow of the service. So then we'll walk into the facility. We can simply go into a couple of happy songs, some worship songs that are uh, tastefully matching the theme of the day, then straight into the message. won't be overly long. Uh, Ravi's going to help close it in terms of the evangelistic appeal. And I'm going to go to the doorway and try and shake every hand on the way out. So that's the plan. If someone will bring me coffee on the door, I'll be happy though. <laughs> just want to just want to give a really good briefing here, okay? So um, that's the plan. It should be really uh, should be a great opportunity, something very memorable, and help us to get beyond the superficiality of sometimes what we do 
we call it church, but sometimes uh, we're not really getting very deep and into the truth and the life-changing message that Jesus Christ has given us through the gospel. So that's my briefing. Okay, well, my little things died. So I've got a little Bible on here. Turn with me to Psalm 90. This is from the New Living Translation, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from the beginning to the end, you are God. You turn people back to dust saying, return to the dust, you mortals. For you a thousand years are but a passing day, a brief few night hours. You sweep people away like a dream that disappears. They are like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and it flourishes. But by the evening it is dry and withered. We are withered beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble, so they soon disappear and fly away. That's, that's pretty honest, isn't it? There's great ancient wisdom here, isn't there? Seventy years are given to us, and some even live to eighty. Even the best years are filled with pain and trouble, and soon they disappear and we fly away. And who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Then there's this, uh, one of my favorite passages in the Psalms, verse 12. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. O Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy each of us. Um, satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see your work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. What a great prayer. What a great way to look at starting into the new year. The psalmist says in verse 12, O Lord, teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. Uh, There is power and understanding that time is a precious substance and that right now there goes a second that will never come back. There's another second. That will never come back. There's another second. And as our days go, so our life goes. Your year will probably look a lot like last year unless you make some efforts to change and to put in some different dynamics. I know it's often a time when we make New Year's resolutions to cut up your credit card, which is a good thing to do, to get healthy, to develop some 
fitness regime. Those are all very good things to do. But my challenge to you this morning is, why not make this year, 2014, the, the, the year you give to God? Why not just one year of your life say, this year, more than any other year, will be the year that I devote to God. I will give God my best in 2014. Now, you might have tried before. You may have had some good years before. But I'm saying, do it again. Why not make God the priority of your life this year? Seek ye first His kingdom and His righteousness and give God central place in your life. I think one of our great challenges in the Western world is that we have a little bit of Jesus, but we haven't really given all our all to Jesus. It's C.S. Lewis who made the comment many years in his book, Mere Christianity, says the great tragedy of the Christian life is that no one's ever tried it. It's probably overstating the issue. But there's more to being a child of God than coming to church on Sunday for an hour and a half. There's more to being a child of God than, you know, going through a set of rituals. It is actually about developing a genuine, intimate, authentic relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is transforming. So many people these days search for happiness. Of the 7 billion people on the face of the earth today, most of them are pursuing happiness. And the trouble is, if they ever overtake it, they will be like the bulldog chasing the train. What's that dog ever going to do if he actually catches the train? You know, we, we run after it, we run after it. Elvis Presley was asked uh, towards uh, just a few uh, weeks before he tragically died of probably an abuse of his body through prescription medication and food. He was asked, uh, Mr. Presley, when you first started off, you said there were three things that you wanted in life. You wanted to be rich and you wanted to be famous and uh, you wanted to have as much money as you could possibly make. How are you feeling today? He says, I feel as lonely as hell. You know, that's the reality. Whether you, whether you look at Elvis Presley or other significant figures, the, one that had, the ones that sometimes get to the top of the mountain they will say, we've been there. Terry Packer said that. I've been to the top of the mountain and there's nothing there. Happiness. And so often what we want to do is we want, God, make me happy. I want to be happy. It's amazing the damage and the sin and the hurt that's now caused in the world by people who just want to be happy. They leave relationships, they leave marriages, they break contracts, they do all sorts of things just because they want to be happy. The incredible thing about the gospel is that it gives you the ability that you don't have to be a slave to your own happiness. It sets you free from the demands of my ego has to be satisfied. I've got to be number one. I've got to be the winner. I have to be, you know, it's got to be all happening for me. Christianity sets you free that you're actually focused on other people's happiness. Jesus said, you know... um, He who seeks to keep his life will lose it. And those who lose their life, for my sake, will find it. In modern language, what we'd say is that if you lose your happiness to God, the paradox is that you'll find happiness bursts into your life in ways that you couldn't believe. When we pray to God, God, make me happy, 
God says, my trouble is this. I am your source. I am your oxygen. I am your food. I am your input. You were created by me to be spirit, soul, and body. And your spirit and your soul will never, ever have the happiness, the peace, the joy, the love that it's designed to have apart from me. I was designed to fill that need in you. There's not a man, a woman, a dollar, a pleasure, a experience that can ever solve the problem that you were divine for God. St. Augustine said it many years ago that each man has a God-shaped blank inside of him. And until we let God fill that blank, we'll always be empty. So when we say, God, make me happy, we don't understand that all God can give you is himself. God is happy to come and to unite with you, to wind his life, entwine his life, weave his world into your world. But God can only give himself. There is no happiness outside of God that sustains. Who stayed up for the new year? Oh, you are very brave. I am probably reflecting my age a little bit. My wife and I went to bed at about 9.30, quite happy. (laughs) You know, I've seen fireworks. They're nice, aren't they? That was nice. That's gone. There's another. That was nice. That was gone. I've seen fireworks. I've seen... I've eaten food. Boy, have I eaten food. (laughs) I have never been heavier in my life. Just pushed 90 kilos. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I've eaten food. I've done all that stuff. And yet I can tell you that it does not satisfy. But if you can spend a little bit of time with God, and, I, and I, 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 I understand the flesh hates it. My old nature hates being in the presence of God. It hates it. But every time I do, I suddenly find out this is what I'm made for. And I go out empowered and strong with wisdom for the day, no surprises, and my life works. And then the next day I've got to fight the flesh all over again. But we'll find it in God. Lord, teach us to count our days and give us a heart of wisdom. There are people here today who are probably a little bit older than me. And if you'd ask them, how long has your life felt? They would probably say, it's like it went like that. Gary's agreeing. And he's, he's 97, you know. <laughs> It just went like that, didn't it? just went like that. So how can we live purposely? Well, I think there's a couple of things to do. In order to live life on purpose, learn to count your blessings one by one. Understand this reality, guys, that no matter how bad things are for you right now, there are thousands upon thousands of people on the face of the earth today that would swap places to be you. True. Doesn't matter how bad it is, there are probably millions of people today. 
particularly refugees. There are literally millions and millions of people fleeing from war and conflict. We live in one of the most dangerous times in the world it's ever been. In fact, to be a Christian today in most countries in the world is a dangerous thing to be. That's a dangerous thing to be. So there are people in the world that would immediately swap with you. And you might say, well, hang on, I've only got one leg. Well, there are people who have got no legs that would love to have your one leg. You might say, I'm going deaf. Well, there are some people that have gone deaf and blind. No matter what it is, we can actually say, God, thank you for what you've given to me. I have the breath of life. I can praise you. I can worship you. I can serve you rather than saying, this is what I don't have. This is what I can't do. I want to tell you what you can do. Just watched a little story of a lady who was a, um, she's got cerebral palsy. And so she can only just walk. She shakes profusely at all times. Her mouth is quite distorted. So she's not a pretty girl to look at. And uh, she will get, if she was here today, she would get up and says, yeah, I've got cerebral palsy. That, that's only one problem I've got. I've got 99 others. <laughs> just a great attitude. It says, I'm Palestinian. I'm an Arab. I'm a female. I'm a Muslim. And I've got cerebral palsy. And I live in New Jersey in New York. I mean, that's just a few disadvantages. And yet her attitude is just amazing because she says, I've never let that stop me. And of course she goes on and she achieves. What's stopping you from having the best year ever? What's stopping you from having the best year ever? Because God's on your side. The Holy Spirit's there to empower you. You've got a book in your hands or a digital Bible in your hands that's got the keys to actually build the most wonderful, successful, fruitful year you have ever experienced in your life. So count your blessings. Get over your groaning and your moaning. One of our little traditions that I've just started is over the uh, Christmas Easter time. We watch, because we've got the DV series, the, um, the uh, TV series called... Um, What's it called? About the old guy. One foot in the grave. Has anybody ever watched One Foot in the Grave? Oh, it's just the most hilarious thing. (laughs) There's this guy who's retired, and if something can go wrong, it just goes wrong. It just gets to the most crazy circumstances that you can possibly. So he's got one foot in the grave, but the point is, what are you doing with the other foot? We've all got one foot in the grave. We all have. So what are you doing with the other foot? Live life on purpose. Thank God. Don't be a moaner. What you give focus to will grow and dominate your life. So if you focus on a problem, if you focus on an issue, it will grow and it will dominate your life. If the only thing you can see is that little pimple on your face, it will get bigger and bigger and bigger and you will see nothing else. As Pastor John Warwick said, you can actually use a telescope or a pair of binoculars two ways, can't you? You can actually turn it backwards and the problem goes really, really, really small. And it's not scary. So if it's a spider, turn it around, look at it. Oh, it's so small, it can't hurt me, you know. Turn it the other way. Ah, you're out of there, aren't you? It's big because you've given focus to it. You've magnified the problem. 
Can I give you the ability today, empowered through the Holy Spirit, to understand that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, that there is nothing in hell's plans that will stop you from doing what God's called you to do. And even then, God is sovereign and has the way of even taking our mess and making something wonderful out of our mess. Don't even be worried about your mess. God can actually help you with your mess. Also, look to the future. Take some risks. Do some things a bit different. Put in some disciplines in your life. I know I just swore at you, didn't I? I did. I used the D word, didn't I? The book of Hebrews says this. Don't you love the honesty of the Bible? The book of Hebrews says that discipline hurts for a season. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? But we'll either have the pain of disappointment or the pain of discipline. Put in the disciplines of your life. It takes about 40 days to build a new habit in your life. Learn how to set an alarm clock. Learn how to get out of bed. Learn how to get a a daily reading plan on your mobile phone. Learn how to download some. Why don't you put some tremendous teaching into your life, some word of God into your life, and actually let God build something significant in your life this year? You could be so much better in a better place, better position. We are our input. We are what we eat. And finally, learn the privilege and the power of living in the moment, in the now. Now faith is. We call it a present because the present is where life is lived. They've done surveys with psychologists and stuff, and people that are depressed tend to either be backward-focused, so when they analyse all their thinking, they're thinking about what happened last week, last year, last decade, last year. Most of their thinking goes backwards. People that suffer anxiety, most of their thinking is actually forward focus. It's thinking about next week and what's going on. And people that are the happiest actually think about now. Live in the moment of now. And if you're in this building right now, you have no problems. Right now, you have no problems. You might have a problem Ten minutes later, you might have a problem when you get home. You might have a problem when you check your email. You might have, but right now, there is a single moment where you can connect with the living God of eternity and everything is okay. Right now, there's the oasis of God's joy, peace. Right now is the ability to access everything that God has. Right now, a word from God can change the rest of your life. Right now, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but now, God can actually meet with you face to face in a way that just transforms and lifts. Isn't that wonderful? So happiness is to be found in Jesus. It's not to be found in uh, your bank account, your relationships, whatever. Frederick Nietzsche, a, um, an interesting philosopher who uh, was probably the, one of the founders of thanatology, the God is dead theology. He actually didn't say God was dead. He just made the comment that if you looked at the way most people live, 
particularly in uh, pre-war Europe, is that most people were practical atheists. They might have gone to church on Sunday, but they didn't actually live like God was real. So uh, he, he developed that, but he has this very frightening, I think, thought experiment that he, uh, he tries on people to see whether they've lived an authentic life of meaning and of purpose. It's something which I've now used a little bit in my counselling and talking with people is this actually little thought experiment. It's, it's quite interesting. And what Nishi said was this. He says, imagine at your lowest moment, at your lonely moment, a demon walks into your room and whispers in your ear, you must live your life again. Every moment, every smell, every experience, every good thing, every bad thing, you must live your life again exactly as it's been up until now. And he says then, that for most people, that would bring them great sadness. It would actually bring them fear. They would wish that on nobody else in the world. I didn't like my life. Why should anybody else go through my life? And he says, what we should then try to do is actually to acknowledge that and say, well, as from now, I'm going to choose to live the life that God's called me to live. Instead of me just drifting along and letting circumstance and happenstance happen to me, I am going to live on absolute purpose. I'm going to seize the day, carpe diem, take what God has for me and live deliberately. Live with purpose. Live with meaning. Live not by accident but live by choice. Some of the things that happen in our life we have no control over, that's true. But some of the stuff we do. So I can control how much weight's on my body. Mind you, if you wear black, it looks better. and Just my horizontal stripes here. <laughs> I can take control over what time I get up out of bed. I can actually make decisions that will put me in a better place. So the psalmist says, O Lord, you have been our father for many generations. Lord, grant us the ability to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. We would really like 2014 for you to be a fruitful and a productive year in the name of Jesus. That would be my desire, that you would have the best year ever. Some of us, if we're honest now, would say 2013 was a waste. I went through it and I didn't get out of that year what I would like to have gotten. I wandered, I squandered, I got off track, I backslid, I warmed. It could be all sorts of things. That's not, you know, that wouldn't be all of us, but for some of us. My challenge for you today is why not make 2014 the best year ever? The year of living dangerously. The year of living for God. The year of giving God your absolute best and just see what he might do for you. Amen? Amen. Father, we do thank you that you uh, so love us that you call us into this relationship with you.
Lord, it is not just a set of rules. It's not a routine. Father, it's meant to be a living, vibrant, dynamic relationship. Lord, where we speak and you respond. Lord, where you talk to us, where you chat with us. Where, Lord, you are more real to us than the very person that we're sitting next to now. That, Lord, we love you so supremely that uh, nothing can tempt us or distract us because, Lord, you are the one. You are the one who defines us, gives us reason and meaning. And so, Lord, we do pray that for every one of us that this would be a great year. Lord, a year of growth for our church. Lord, a year where we see salvation come to the house and there would be many miracles. Lord, where lives would be touched. Lord, disciples would be made. But, Lord, let us individually make this an incredible year in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Well, just before I go, just want to talk to you if you're visiting with us for the very first time or you might be coming for a little while. Maybe you don't know Jesus in a very intimate way. Uh, when you're thirsty, it speaks of a need, the need for water. Every human being has this innate ability to know when they need to drink. If you never got thirsty, well, you never drink and you die. It's really important. Thirst is important. When you are hungry, sometimes your body's lying to you. <laughs> but it's also a human desire. It's an innate, hardwired appetite that we have that points to the reality of food. As human beings, we have quite a number of these sorts of things. Security, you know, we have this innate ability when the tiger jumps in to run away. We also have a desire for intimacy. And so that points to love and family. But one of the other innate needs that you'll find in every human being is that they think the world's broken and that it should be better. I have never, ever met even the most hardened atheists who says that the world shouldn't be better than what it is. And it's interesting. Every human being has a desire for a better world. That must point in the same way to maybe a past when the world was perfect, as in the Bible said, back in the Garden of Eden there was a paradise. And also points forward prophetically that one day God is going to come back to this earth and he's going to make a great world. He's going to fix the problem. It's really damaged now, but it is going to be okay. So that innate desire, that hardwired desire that we have points to that, that each one thinks that the world should be better. The reason why the world got broken is that he gave it into human beings' care. Many years ago, Adam and Eve took over the running of the earth. They thought that they'd run it their way, not God's way. Well, guess what happened? We've had wars and hunger and rape and pillaging. We've had just terrible disaster. Because human beings are not good at running this world. If you don't believe that, just look at our politicians. <laughs> it's the truth, isn't it? So God wants to fix that. God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so he sent Jesus into the world because what he has to do, he's got to start with me. He's got to start with you. Where does all that evil come from that messes up the world? It comes from here. 
comes out of the human heart. And it's not that everyone, not every one of us is as bad as we can be, but the Bible calls it sin. And it says that we are ultimately rebels. We do not want to come under the leadership of a good, kind God. And so we are rebels. So the trouble is all that evil comes out of you and me. So Jesus has to come and fix the evil in Mike first before he can fix the world. Do you understand? Because the world's not a problem. There is no sin on the moon. There's no sin on Mars. There are no wars on Neptune. Because it comes out of people. People that are rebels. And so he's actually got to start with healing people. So he sent Jesus that he could actually do a recreation to recreate the world. And first he begins that in Mike. Mike is recreated. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he remakes you from the inside out. You become born again. And the new creation begins here. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, they are a brand new creation. So God recreates us. And then as we are recreated, we are then able then to partner with Jesus to go and fix the world. It's a pretty good plan. But I don't know where you are right now. You might be still just broken and a rebel or you might just have not yet made the decision to let God recreate you or you may not yet have actually said, God, use me to help fix this world. And we do that one life at a time, one family at a time. So if you don't know Jesus Christ in that way, where you've allowed him to come into your life, I want to give you that ability to do that this morning. I want to pray for you. And a miracle can happen. If you have faith, the Bible says that if you believe that Jesus is Lord, you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Book of Romans chapter 10. So if that's you this morning, just where everybody's heads bowed and nobody looking around, if you'd like to give your life to God this morning, uh, can you put your hand up? It's a bit hard for me to see up here with all the lights on. So if you just put your hand straight up in the air, I'll see that and we'll pray for you. Yep. Sean's just rejoicing. <laughs> God bless you. I see a small hand there. Father, we thank you for this small hand. We pray, dear Father, in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, you'd say, move in their life that they become a child of God, wash away their sins, recreate them, and join them to this incredible purpose of fixing the world for Jesus' glory. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Have a very good year, blessed year. I'm going to